they basically just layer you back together. So multifidi get closed back up and then we see suture get put in on all of these different layers. Now we have also, unfortunately, a foreign body in this tissue that's supposed to actually not have anything else in it. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Uncut, the podcast about how to stay surgery free and live a healthy lifestyle. I'm Dr. Tom Padilla, owner of the Doctors of Physical Therapy, It's a clinic that leads the U.S. in helping adults over 30 to avoid surgery and drugs and live an active, healthy lifestyle. If you're looking for ways to maximize not only the years in your life, but the life in your years, you're in the right place. We are committed to delivering information that will help you live life today and for many, many years to come. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Uncut. This is Dr. Tom Padilla with the Doctors of Physical Therapy here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And today I've got a special guest with me. Her name is Dr. Jessie Dupler. She's a physical therapist that works with me here at the Doctors of Physical Therapy. She's got a really interesting background that gives her a very unique perspective. She spent seven years as a surgical technologist. So our joke is that she spent seven years on the dark side before she finally saw the light and decided to go back to physical therapy school. I wanted to bring her on today to talk about different types of surgery that could be avoided, that are unnecessary, and that sometimes are overprescribed or overtouted as solutions to a very common problem, which we'll be talking about today, which is back pain. So welcome, Dr. Jesse. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your experience as a surgical technologist and the things that you saw, what fields you were in? I actually uh, specialize in several different fields depending on what hospital I was working at. So I've done everything from vascular surgery to general surgery to neuro to total joints. So seen a lot of things. The big thing was, and why I started, I got into the medical field was I actually originally thought I wanted to go to med school after I graduated college. Didn't have any patient care experience, so decided to become a surgical technologist for a while. And so the more I worked, the more I realized that we weren't really solving any problems for people. So my biggest thing with why I started looking for a different field is that people aren't really given their options. Like nobody realizes that there's other options other than surgery. People are in pain and they go to a surgeon. And when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So surgeons, of course, are going to prescribe surgery. The amount of education that should go into teaching people about their pain and what they can do just doesn't happen. And so I wanted to find a way to make that happen. I think one of the early conversations that we had was when you talked about how you started seeing the same people coming back. Yep. It doesn't really matter what field you're in. People that once you start having surgery, sometimes it means you're going to have more surgery because when you decide that's your solution, it becomes the only solution you have. And so, especially when it comes to pain, things like back pain, you'll see people come in and they'll have one back surgery for a laminectomy and then they'll have another one and they're still in pain. So then they'll get a fusion and they're still in pain. And so it becomes, and it's touted as the solution when a lot of times it may not be. And I think there's just a lot of other options out there that need to be pursued or should be pursued before people start going back for multiple multiple surgeries. Yeah, I have a question about that. You said that a lot of the times the patients are not educated appropriately about alternatives or things like that. One of the things I've always wondered is, and I've told people this because it's happened to a few of my patients, but the surgeon's definition of a successful surgery is not always the same definition as the patient. And maybe you could shed some light on this because to me in the past, it's meant that while a patient may be in there expecting that getting surgery is going to help them to be able to be more present with their family and be able to play more sports or get more active or live a healthier lifestyle, the surgeon 
his definition or her definition might just be that this person gets pain relief. Yeah. And, you know, it might not even be that actually. A lot of times there's a running joke that I saw somewhere about, you know, sorry, you're still in pain, but your x-ray looks great. So the (laughs) uh, way the medical, a lot of the medical field is, unfortunately, it's objective driven and objective driven only. And so when you only have so much time with a patient, you look at their x-ray, you looked at their range of motion, you say, okay, did this get better? Yes. Successful surgery. But just because someone's x-ray looks different or just because their knee flexion got better, it doesn't mean their pain went away. It doesn't mean that they can do the things that they want to do with their family or, you know, go back to running or whatever it is that they want to do. So it's a very kind of insular look at people's pain and how to solve their pain. And sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it does. And so the fact that that's not always the goal means that that might not be what you get. Absolutely. Well, I think one of your favorite phrases is that the body doesn't always operate in a silo, right? You got it. And oftentimes what we find is that the actual root of the thing that is causing your pain is uh, or the patient's pain is is uh, very far from the actual source of pain. You got it. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing too, especially if you take something like back surgery for example. So, when a patient has some sort of pain, they go to the neurosurgeon and the neurosurgeon says, "Let's take some x-rays, let's take some an MRI." So then we get this imaging. And so the imaging's when you're lying flat down on a table. Most people when they have their pain, it's when they're walking, when they're bending over to pick things up. The MRI does not show what your movement looks like whatsoever. It shows a static picture in space. And so then the surgeon is going to decide on a plan of care based on the pictures that he or she sees. The pictures aren't giving us a full picture, for lack Uh of a better word. They're giving us a snapshot of what some of the symptoms are. And so what happens is they solve the what is going on, but not necessarily the why of what's going on. Oftentimes what we see here is people have pain when they're moving. So we got to figure out how to get them moving better. Now, what moves you? Muscles. And so what happens when you go into surgery is people have to cut through those muscles to get to wherever they're going. Now we have muscles that may not have been working well to begin with, and now they've been cut through as well. So what happens with surgery is now we have to not only heal tissue from the surgical site, we have to heal tissue from all those muscles, skin, everything else that's cut through. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there's still a lot of healing that needs to happen after surgery. And so it's not just a one and done. It's not just a let's get down to the symptom or the problem and fix it from there. There's a lot of surrounding tissue. and There's a lot of surrounding issues that need to be addressed and don't always get addressed. Is that a conversation that the surgeons would have with their patients prior to the extent of the recovery and everything that actually goes into the details? Tough to say. I was never there with like pre-op anything or like their office visits or anything like that. But just as my experience as a PT, I've had a lot of patients, unfortunately, say, you know, if I'd known this would be that painful afterwards, I wouldn't have done it. I've had patients with uh, total knees say, you know what, this was not really worth what I uh, uh, went through to get here. I think that the education as far as what to expect is definitely limited a lot of the time. And again, it goes back to a lot of different things. Surgeons don't typically see their patients a lot after they're done with surgery. They finish their part of the, basically a part of the assembly line. They'll see it for a couple of post-op checks and that's it. So they don't really get to see the fallout or just the recovery process as a whole. They look at their objective measures and say, hey, yeah, this works well. Your x-ray looks great. Moving on. And not, did you go back to being able to play with your kids on the floor? So Mm -hmm. the uh, measures of success aren't there. What about the operating room? When somebody goes in for a laminectomy, what are they cutting through? How does that impact their recovery? We have to actually start right at the top. So first of all, we've got skin you have to cut through. From underneath there, you've got fat as well too. Then we start getting down to the muscles that move our spine. So we've got some paraspinal muscles. Underneath that, we have muscles called our multifidi muscles. These muscles are right up against our spine and they're some of the most important muscles in our body. The reason for that is they stabilize our spine. So in order to actually get to the bones in which they're trying to fix or go through or whatever it is they're trying to do in the surgery itself, 
they need to peel those multifidi off of the bone itself. So now we have uh, multifidi muscles that are supposed to stabilize our bone. And they've basically been taken out of the equation. They've been essentially shocked and shut off for right now. So then they go and they'll drill through bone and they'll take out disc or they'll uh, take out just the lamina, depending on whatever they're doing for their surgery, and they'll patch you back up. So now what happens is they basically just layer you back together. So multifidi get closed back up, and then we see suture get put in on all of these different layers in order to close you back up. So now we have also, unfortunately, a foreign body in this tissue that's supposed to actually not have anything else in it. And what happens with tissue and scar tissue is scar tissue heals in a disorganized manner. Typically, our tissues, what they should do is they should be able to slide against each other for when we move. When we have some sort of scarring process that takes place, now we no longer have the ability to actually have those tissues slide. So we start to get adhesions. So now we not only have bone that's missing and actual tissue that needs to get healed, we now also have adhesions or stickiness amid that tissue as we try and get it to heal as well too. How does that affect recovery? It's a part of recovery that's not actually all that well addressed, to tell you the truth. I've had a lot of patients, I spoke about this actually on a podcast we did about C-sections. A lot of patients, their surgeons tell them, oh, you don't need to do any scar mobilization. It'll all heal on its own. The body does heal on its own, but it could do a better job if it's given some help. One of the big things is just working from the top down, basically, making sure you're actually mobilizing that scar, making sure that you're addressing the wound properly, making sure that you're giving that tissue time to heal, but also moving. Because what happens is scar tissue will contract. And if we could, our scar tissue contracts, it'll stay in that contracted position unless we start to move it. So the biggest thing is making sure that after we respect the healing process and what the tissue goes through, making sure we're moving, making sure that our body doesn't get used to only staying in one position or staying in a smaller range of motion. So after someone gets surgery, and let's say that the surgeon deems there's been a successful outcome, the lamina has been removed, there's no more pressure on the nerve, what dictates the successful outcome? of a surgery in terms of like from a rehabilitation perspective, does, does everybody just heal up nice and well? Or what are the things that, that you've seen that make it easier or make it harder? Yeah. So, well, one of the things too is how active were you before surgery? What do you want to get back to? People that are active prior to surgery are better set up and better served for doing well after surgery. Their muscles have more blood flow to it. Their body's more used to getting moved. They're able to actually bounce back quicker. But in general, the things that dictate recovery are wound healing and movement really are the two things that I look at. Is your wound actually healing and are you able to actually move? With spinal surgery, we of course, obviously have to make sure that everything in the tissue has repaired enough that you can move. But as soon as we hit that mark where the tissue is actually healed and we're cleared to go, we got to get you moving because our body will get used to being in one spot pretty quickly. And so the big things that dictate recovery is making sure that the scar itself stays mobile and the tissue around it stays mobile and making sure that we're getting people back to what they want to do. And it's not zero to 60 either. A lot of times people after they have surgery think, okay, I'm going to be on the couch for, you know, X number of weeks and then I'm going to go back to what I'm doing. But there's a lot of retraining that needs to happen. There are lots of people that we treat here in the clinic and that we know of that have had spinal surgery and it doesn't fix their problem. And that's probably one of people's worst nightmares. They prepare themselves mentally to go into this pretty vulnerable situation in which their spine is getting cut open and they're getting a piece of their body removed. And while it works for a lot of people, like on the other side, we have some people who are very happy with their laminectomies. What are some of the things that you see that would actually be an indication that someone is not a surgical candidate and that it's not going to fix their problems and that they should look for a second opinion? Great question. So the big thing with when people go in because they have things like arthritis or they have some sort of stenosis, people hear these words a lot when they have some sort of pain in their spine. The question we have to be asking is not what, but why. We have to ask why is there pain there? 
typically it's because our body is a tensioning system. Our muscles always pull on our joints. And when muscles get weak or when something happens to turn muscles off, then they pull incorrectly. And so what we see is we see a change in force or pressure that's distributed through a joint. That's what can often show up as some sort of arthritis or stenosis on imaging. What we look at, especially for if we see someone coming in with back pain that's saying, hey, maybe I need surgery, is we're looking at, okay, let's look at the muscles around that spine. Let's see how those are moving. There's a simple test that we do all the time here in the clinic, how we test your multifidi. If those can start to fire even a little bit, we know we've got a pretty good chance of getting them to fire better. When your multifidi fire well, they're able to support your spine. When they fire poorly, you see poor spinal support and you oftentimes see pain with that. So the first thing we want to do is say, hey, if we try and train some of these muscles that we know help support you, can we change your pain? And that's typically where we start to see, hey, what does your back muscles look like, your tiny stabilizers there, and what's your hip stability look like? Because those two things Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. And if we can fix those two things, oftentimes we can see a lot of change in people's pain. If someone feels like they're looking for an alternative to surgery, Mm -hmm. right? where do they start? Lately, we've had a lot of people coming in from just Googling and saying, hey, what's my alternative? You know, what can I do for back pain? And luckily, physical therapy, which has kind of had a PR problem in the past, is starting to become more in the forefront, especially in Arizona, where what's called a direct access state. You can come right in and see us. You don't need, typically, you don't need any sort of doctor's approval or anything. So PT, really, I mean, granted, I'm biased, but we're a great place to start. Because here's the thing. After you have surgery, you're going to need PT as well, too. So why not try it before, before they cut you open? Because you can't uncut that skin. But what you can do is set yourself up for success no matter what. Yeah, that's a great point. We've got a couple of clients that have in fact needed surgery because they were too far gone at the time that we tried to work with them. That's just the point is that there are some scenarios in which uh, surgery might be indicated, Definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. but you can always try to prevent it in the beginning. And if it's preventable, you will prevent it. And if it's not preventable, it'll be considered prehabilitation. There's a lady that just told us last week that she, uh, it's been probably a year and a half since we saw her. She wrote the review on our Google page. She said that what would have been a year long recovery after getting surgery actually ended up being only three to four months. And she was back at full activity, golfing, doing anything and everything that she wanted without any pain or any limitations. And it's been a year and a half at this point. There's another side of that coin that there seems to be a contingent of surgeons that actually don't even recommend physical therapy after any sort of back surgery. Would you encounter that or were you not really in? No, I wasn't really. uh, I don't really see post-op ramifications either. But what I do see is surgeons rattle off their orders at the end of the case. And so they'll always say, you know, PT, OT, whatever you want to do. But um, there's, it's never like, yes, you need physical therapy after this. There are some surgeons that do that, but more often than not. And the people we've seen here a lot of times after surgery say, yeah, my uh, surgeon said I could do PT if I wanted to, but they also just gave me some stretches to do at home. You know, there's a reason that we're considered a conservative measure. We don't do anything that wouldn't help you in the end, basically. Yes, like you said, you might need surgery, but why not try some other things first? And just because they're not necessarily recommended or brought up doesn't mean it's not an option. Awesome. How does somebody know when they're speaking to a physical therapist if it is actually someone who can help them avoid surgery, right? Because not all physical therapies created the same, mm-hmm. right? And there are differences. Mm-hmm. The first one might be, what questions are they asking you? Are they asking you what you actually want to get back to? Are they asking you what your goals are? Are they asking you what's important to you? Or are they just saying, do you have pain when you bend over? Do you have pain when you do this? What's your pain like? Because the more important thing is, okay, you have pain, but when you have pain when you bend over, why? Or what's the issue there? Why? What is it that you need to do to bend over? Is it because you want to pick up your kids? Is that the real issue? Or is it because mm-hmm. you want to get down on the ground and actually be able to clean? Is that the issue? The issue isn't the movement. It's the things that are getting you to do the movements and why you want to do the movements. So the biggest thing that I have found as far as success goes 
Success is rooted in making sure we know what the patients are coming to us for and why they want to see us. I can get you back to being able to touch your toes, but is that what really matters or do you need to be able to get down to pick up your kid? I think the biggest thing is paying attention to what questions they're asking you, making sure that they're also being really objective in their measures. We need both. We need you to tell us what it is that you want and what you're looking for out of us. We also need to make sure that we have a lot of objective data to tell us when we're doing the right or the wrong things, because a lot of times what happens in PT at many other clinics that they get so busy and they have to see so many patients, they don't have time to do objective measures. And instead, they only ask you, what is it? How are you feeling? Okay, let's try this next. And we don't know if we're doing anything good, bad, or otherwise, if we don't actually have data to tell us that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. One of the biggest things to realize is that if the object is to avoid surgery, You might not be doing well in a place that sees like 30 to 40 patients a day per PT because there's no way that someone can give you that kind of like specialized attention. And oftentimes that's what patients are stuck with is this situation in which it's no fault of their own and no fault of the therapists. It's just they're at the mercy of however the system is set up at that particular clinic. So I think you bring up a great point. I think one of the big things that people want to make sure of is that they're with a quality therapist that asks them good questions. And spends time with them and also takes that time to take objective measures so that we know each session if we're actually making improvements or not. And that actually brings up a good point, too, in the fact when you asked me earlier if there are surgeons that do recommend PT or don't. And I think what we've also seen in the past, too, is there's a lot of surgeons that have recommended PT in the past. And their patients have come back and said, well, I didn't really see any difference. I didn't see a value in it. I didn't see any change. And so that's when we see these patients that unfortunately go to clinics in which they don't have time to actually get time devoted to them. And they see poor results. And then they Mm -hmm. say it's the PT that didn't work when really it's the PT failed them. It's not that PT as a whole didn't work. It's just that where their situation was and how the situation was structured didn't allow for any results, really. Absolutely. Yeah, because if you're going to take a shot at actually avoiding surgery, I think the big thing for people to take home is that they actually have to find a good physical therapist. And it can be harder than it seems. A lot of the times I'll point people towards Google reviews. If you can read the reviews and tell by the way that the reviews are written that those people, it's not just about, oh, friendly staff, friendly service. It's like a well-written review about like, this was my situation. I was here to avoid surgery. And, you know, within X number of visits, I could see this result and this is what I can do now. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. It goes back to asking the patients what it is they want to do and having them tell us what they feel like. Is there anything else you would want our listeners to know about low back surgery? how it can be avoided, things the surgeon doesn't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the big things are the things we touched on. Just because your x-ray says something or just because your MRI says something, it doesn't mean that you're destined for getting cut open. There's a study that says something like 63% of the patients in the study had some sort of abnormality on their MRI, but had no symptoms whatsoever. So I always tell my patients, your MRI doesn't define you. Just because there's one picture of you that shows some sort of pathology, it doesn't mean that you have to get it cut out or you have to uh, see someone to do something about that. So really the big thing is to educate yourself because unfortunately in the current medical pattern we have, a lot of times you are your only advocate. That's part of the reason that I changed from surgery to becoming a physical therapist because I felt like that gave me a chance to help advocate for my patients. It gave them a voice because they were able to tell me what it is that's going on and I'm able to tell them what their options are. The biggest thing is just to make sure that you're educating yourself well as to who you're picking for everything, not only just for your surgeon, but for your physical therapist, for your general practitioner, whomever. All of us that 
got into this business for the right reasons, do it because we want to hold ourselves to a high standard. And so it's important that patients realize that sometimes it takes a little digging to find the people that you want to have on your team. I think just being really cognizant of that and just knowing that, yeah, surgery might be an option, but there may be other ones as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. This is probably a topic for another day, but letting your insurance company choose your providers just oh, no. based on <laughs> based on who's in network might not always be the best idea. Um, you don't know why they chose those providers, if those providers were willing to take the lowest rates or any other host of reasons for them taking that insurance, right? I think people often default to looking and, you know, it's just kind of how we've been conditioned, right? It's the default to looking for who is within our network. But one thing to know is that it's not always in your network that you're going to find the best providers. And when you're talking about your health and getting sliced open, and having your skin peeled back, then your fascia peeled back, then your muscles peeled back and your bone cut out. <laughs> yeah, all those things. <laughs> yeah, just those little things. You might want to look for uh, look beyond your own insurance company when it comes to finding a, a healthcare provider who can actually help you avoid a surgery as risky as that. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. Jesse, thank you so much for doing this podcast today and helping our listeners. I'd like to invite our listeners to visit our website, thedoctorsofpt.com and go to our blog. You can find tons of content. Just click on the category back pain in the right-hand column, and you can read about any and every type of back pain that you or a friend or loved one may be experiencing and find some tips and tricks in there that might be able to help them or help yourself out. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to leave us a review, like our podcast, share it with somebody who needs it. Leave a comment with other topics that you would be interested in hearing. And until next time... This is Dr. Tom with the Doctors of Physical Therapy, where we help our patients live life today.